0: Well, it's great to be able to speak to you even though we can't gather together. We're hoping perhaps that we'll begin some in-person services from next week and then do look at the website for the full range of all the Christmas services with online and in-person options as well. I don't know if you've already got your Christmas decorations up. You'll perhaps see from some of the camera angles that the church's Christmas decorations are up and looking amazing. We've got fairly strict rules in our house, so it's another week to go before we're allowed to put our Christmas trees up, and then they'll stay up probably into, just into the new year. But I love putting up those, those decorations. It, for me, it, kind of, it speaks about a really special time of year. It speaks about the coziness of family. And for many people, it is that, and it's nothing more than that. Christmas is a time for them of escapism, of nostalgia, and that, that can be very attractive in the best of years, but it can be even more attractive this year with all of the difficulties. When I put this um, preaching program together for the staff, I actually jokingly entitled it Worst Christmas Ever, because I know that's what a lot of people will be feeling. People will be thinking about sickness and loss. Some people will be facing hardship and insecurity. Um, Many of us won't be able to gather as we would like to, whether it's gathering to church in order to worship and sing all the traditional and familiar songs, or whether it's being able to gather as a family, as we would want to, with all the people that we would want to be part of, a special meal over this season. But in many ways, this year is actually a special opportunity for us to hear the Christmas message as it was first heard. It was never heard in a situation of comfort and ease. When this message was first proclaimed, it was to a people that were... In poverty, a people that were under military oppression. Last week, Tom talked about some of the broken dreams that Joseph had. And this week, I'm going to talk about some of the the darkness and the violence that there is in the Christmas story. And for many people, that comes as a surprise because when they come to the the carol services and the things like that, all they ever hear is little snippets of the Christmas story. They they get the high bits, you know, the exciting bits, the, the purple passages But often they miss the whole context that you'd get if you read the whole story. The great bishop, Tom Wright, um, puts in one of his books that he was preaching at a carol service when an atheist came up to him and said, I finally realized why people love Christmas so much. A baby is no threat to anyone. Well, whenever anybody says something like that, you'd think, you haven't really read the Bible, have you? Because this baby was incredibly threatening. Before Jesus could walk, he was a homeless refugee with a price on his head. And so tonight we're going to be looking at a very familiar passage, Matthew chapter 2, the visit of the Magi, coming up to to visit Jesus. But we're going to be reading a little bit further than we often do. So this is Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to read from verse 1 all the way through to verse 18. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born So that I too may go and worship him. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to his house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. It's not a very comfortable Reading. In fact, many people would think it's not a very Christmassy reading. But I think one of the things that gives Christmas its real power is that it speaks to us in the darkest and the most difficult of times. Because that message of light and love and hope, the message of life in Jesus, because it it really resonates with broken situations and with need and with fear, then it's powerful. If Christmas was only for the picture-perfect Christmas scene in our homes, then many of us would think this is just empty when we face the reality of the pain and the suffering that often come along in life. But of course, it's not like that at all. Christmas was about difficulty and danger. It was about threat as well as the hope for those who have no hope. And so just have a look at this passage and ask yourself, how does it function in the bigger picture of Matthew's gospel. Well, Matthew's a great gospel. It's, it's very cleverly constructed. It was written to a Jewish audience. And um, Matthew begins by saying, the book of the genealogy of Jesus. He actually begins by saying generations. The book of generations. And that's a phrase that's used repeatedly through Genesis. It's about origins. So in the same way that Genesis begins the Old Testament, Matthew rightly begins the New. And Matthew chapter 1 is all about the family origins of Jesus, who he was descended from, where he came from. Matthew 2 is more about the, the geographical origins, where he lived and where he came from in that sense. You know, it explains how the Messiah who had to be born in Bethlehem is later discovered and introduced to us as a man from Nazareth. But it's a lot more than that. Remember I said Matthew's writing for a Jewish audience. And in chapter 1, he piles on the titles that he gives to this baby. Firstly, he says, this is the Messiah. This is the promised Savior. This is the one that your entire history has been looking forward to, that all the prophecies are about. And this baby who to be born is to be known as Emmanuel. He really is God actually with us. God is with us. And you're to give him the name Jesus. It's a name with a lot of history in Israel. It's a name that's echoed by Joshua and Isaiah, but it's a name that literally means the Lord will save his people from their sins. So big, big claims. But any Jew who knew the story of Jesus of Nazareth, the itinerant preacher who fell foul of the authorities and crucified upon the cross, any Jew would be listening to this story with great disappointment because the kingdom of God had clearly not arrived, at least as he would be expecting it. They were still under Rome, the Herods were still in charge, they were still poor and so Matthew needs to explain. Now, Matthew doesn't explain in the way that we do. We we find this passage difficult, so we've added details into it. We've kind of fleshed it out in tradition. And so the magi, who were astrologers, stargazers, they become three in number because they bring three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, In our three, our imagination, they've become kings, probably because of some Old Testament prophecies in Isaiah and um, Psalm 72, as we might mention later. They've gained names. Most of us would know that the the Magi are Melchior, Caspar, and Balthazar. They weren't for the first 400 years of the church's life, but somebody put names on them later. And imagination and hymnody and poetry and all of that have just piled extra details in there, like camels and all sorts of things like that. And that's the picture that we have. Now, as a result of all of these additions, some scholars strip away everything, and say none of this really happened at all. But the basic story that Matthew tells is entirely believable. It's a story that doesn't need anything extra added to it. Matthew doesn't need to invent stuff. He simply tells us what happens. But what he's doing for his Jewish audience, he is linking it to the story of Israel. And because of that, he's also linking it to the worldwide story because Israel was called to be the nation that would bring salvation to the whole world. So he's linking it to our story as well. Now let's look at Israel's story first because no Jew could miss the significance of travelers coming from the east, gifts to the baby Jesus. That was what you did when a new ruler was born. Now the Magi, being pagan astrologers, and wise men they might not be quite who we would expect to find in this Jewish story and um, being led by a star sounds theologically a bit dodgy but actually it's quite an unusual star isn't it because it leads them not only to a place but that it leads them to a house I, I don't know how you can look up and see a star that is over a house it's not one of the normal ones that we see in the sky anyway But the point is that this story actually fits in very closely with Jewish expectations of what would happen when a great ruler was born. The high point of the Old Testament was in the reign of Solomon. And in the reign of Solomon, we read about the kings of all the surrounding nations and the queens bringing their wealth in. The visit of the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, bringing her wealth in and laying it before Solomon. And it's written there about All the different amounts of tribute that Solomon received because his kingdom was so great and Israel was so dominant in the region. And so because of that, bringing gifts to Israel's king, Gentile nations submitting to Israel was a key part of messianic expectation. You see it regularly in the prophecies in Isaiah. As I said, you read about it in Psalm 72 Which is probably the origin of the idea that these are kings. The bringing of gifts is all about the coming of God's king. The kingdom of God is at hand because the Gentiles are bringing their wealth and laying it before him. But the Old Testament prophets also talk about how the Messiah would fulfill the whole story of Israel. So that all the great events of Israel's history are fully filled out when we think about something being fulfilled what we mean is it's fully filled out it takes on its fullest possible meaning and Matthew wants to draw that to his Jewish hearer's attention so just for example look at some of the quotes that are here the the quote in uh, verse 6 about Bethlehem that's all about a ruler isn't it a shepherd those words meaning king in the time of Jesus. But look at some of the more obscure ones as well. When the holy family have to get up and flee from Herod, we read, out of Egypt I called my son. Well, that's a quote from Hosea chapter 11. And it's a reference to all of Israel, not to an individual. It's all about how this, this individual, the Messiah, is going to fulfill the calling of the whole people of God. Herod then is so jealous that he orders the death of all the male children under two years old. That's probably the length of the Magi's journey. In Bethlehem and the surrounding district, given the size of Bethlehem, that's possibly 20 to 30 children. That's a terrible detail to have in this most familiar and comfortable of stories. And it's reminiscent, though, of Pharaoh's attempt to control the Jewish population by killing the boys, which he did before the Exodus, which is, of course, Israel's great deliverance from slavery in Egypt. And in the horrific aftermath of Herod's slaughter, we get this quote about weeping in Ramah, Rachel weeping for her children. That's from Jeremiah 31, which is a passage we often know quite well because it's the one that talks about a new covenant that God's going to do. But earlier in that chapter, the verse that's quoted here by Matthew is verse 15. But it's about the return from slavery and exile, from bondage in Babylon, the other great deliverance in Israel's story. And that was verse 15, but if we'd read on and read verses 16 and 17 of Jeremiah 31, this is what we would have heard. This is what the Lord says, restrain your voice from weeping. And your eyes from tears, for your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return from the land of my enemy. So there is hope for your descendants, declares the Lord. Your children will return to their own land. You see, what Matthew is doing is he's putting Jesus' story in the middle of Israel's story. He's saying that what Jesus is experiencing is what Israel has always experienced. It fits in with the prophecies the promised have said. He's fulfilling this pattern that actually hope and salvation and deliverance, they come, well, they come through suffering. He's beginning to tell a story that's going to end with a cross and then triumphant resurrection. A story that's going to be confusing to people that just want a simple victory, but a story that speaks really powerful into the felt experience of people under Roman occupation. Now for us today, we're not under military occupation, but we know, we know, don't we, that we're living in a broken world. We know there are all sorts of things that we long to see fixed. And so what we might connect with is how Matthew tells this story to put it into Israel's story, to put it into the world's story of Israel being called to be the nation through which God would save us all. And what this passage says to us is, Very simply, the Christmas message isn't escapist, it's not a fantasy, it's not even cute. Yeah, it's been sentimentalized and sanitized over the years, but it's about light coming into a time of real darkness. It's about God being in a broken world, and if you think about it, that's what we need. If God is Emmanuel, if Jesus is God with us, then he needs to be with us whatever situation we're in it's not that Jesus is with us when things are going well but he needs to be Emmanuel in times of pain and suffering and in times of crisis it also says that the gospel is about the love of God well we know that but it's also about the reality of evil in the world and we miss the point if we think that Christmas is a comforting message of love and family and Bonomi, it's about the reality of evil. Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy. If we think Jesus just came to cheer us up, offer us an upgrade, add a little bit of sparkle, give us something nice to think about, you know, the birth of a baby in the depths of winter, then we miss the point. His coming is a threat to Satan. And it's a threat to all who in their evil, wicked ways want to align themselves with the value of Satan's kingdom. It's about God's love for us, but it's also about God's anger at Satan and all the evil people who continue to hurt and exploit God's children. So with this longer reading of Matthew 2, we actually get not just a comforting story of three people who were a little bit far off and came and gave some gifts because the baby was so special. But what we get is we get a glimpse of the cosmic battle that this baby is a threat, that this baby is going to destroy every kingdom that stands against the kingdom of God. And, And of course, let's not forget that those kings did come from a long way away and they did come with some very confused ideas. And yet God graciously drew them as well, just as he's drawn us who've come from a long way off and often have some very strange ideas. This passage is about the end of the religious search and it says to us that If you're looking for meaning, even if you don't have the history of the people of God, but if you're looking for meaning, if you want to know who can make a difference, if you want to know where you can find love, if you want to know how you can truly be alive, then this passage says, just follow the signs God has given you and he will lead you to Jesus and it's in Jesus that you'll discover that reality. So what do we get when we read these, Longer Christmas stories and not just the bits that we normally read in a carol service. Well, I think we get something that throws us into the real world and gives us real hope. So, if anybody says, Yeah, it's a lovely story, but the world hasn't really changed, well, they'd probably be in good company. That would be what many Jews were thinking at the time. Let's say 20, 30 years, 40 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus there'd probably people be saying, we're still under Roman occupation. Nothing's changed. If someone says, yeah, it's a nice story, but the world's still broken, isn't it? Show them these stories and say, everything's changed. But the way it's been changed by God is subversive. It starts with a baby. It starts in obscurity. It spreads from person to person. There's a revolution going on. It may not happen as you expect but God has come and the kingdom of God is breaking in even now and what God has done requires that you have faith it requires that you put your trust in him that you join the revolution it's happening all around you the alternative the alternative is that you think more like Herod in this story i've got what's mine i'm going to hang on to what's mine i'm king of my kingdom I don't want another king to rule over me. No one tells me what to do. I will be the master of my own destiny. I'll decide for myself. I'll think what I want to think. There's so many different expressions of that deep, selfish, prideful sinfulness in us. We may not think of ourselves as being bad people. We, we, we probably are very good people by every objective measure. But is Jesus our king? Or are we still holding on to our kingdom? See, the point of Christmas is that when he came, he came to offer himself, not to force himself. He came to offer himself. And so in order to do what he came to do, he needs to be received. And in some ways, I think the best explanation the best commentary on this long reading that we've had from Matthew and the challenging truths that it presents, the best reading to explain it would actually be from John's gospel. This is something we normally read on Christmas Eve at midnight as we enter into the Christmas celebration, reading the prologue of John chapter one. Let me just read a few verses. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, We need to receive him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that when we're facing difficult times, we can come back to the Christmas stories. And we can look again and see that they are not fantasies. They're not even comforting tales. But they are very much set in the broken world that we experience, that we know only too well. We thought last week of, of the fears and the, the broken dreams, the loss of hopes that Joseph was experiencing. And tonight we look at some of the darkness and violence that is in the Christmas story, but which Jesus came to confront. And as we recognize those things in our own life, we want to receive Jesus as King. And as we're still before the Lord, I just encourage you to ask yourself, is he truly king? Why is it that we, we more easily turn to God in times of desperation? It's because we, we know that we need someone. Why is it that we so often forget about him when things are going well? Well, it's because we think that's what we deserve and we forget how fragile it is. Jesus wants to be king over every moment, good and bad. All of us need his healing and saving power. All of us need to know his love. And so let's set our hearts to receive him, recognize him as king. Let him take that place in our lives and as John leads us in a short time of response in worship I'd encourage you to enter into that space pour out your love before Jesus as your offering and your gift to him and just get yourself back in a right relationship with the king who saves